Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. In the several scenes of the resurrection that are portrayed in the Gospels, continually there is a complete shift in perspective. Of course, they're imagining Jesus is dead, that he's still in the tomb. And with this death, with this understanding, is the notion, well, he's been defeated. And then they encounter the resurrected Jesus, or they encounter the empty tomb, and they realize that everything is made new. Everything is made beautiful in light of the resurrection. And I think that's the case here at John chapter 20. Let's read from verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so we see her heartbroken, weeping at the tomb. And then we see this shift in perspective. And this is what we see in the various resurrection accounts, is this shift from irreconcilable grief Mary is turned to joy, to becoming the first excited herald that Christ is risen. For some, it's a gradual shift in perspective, a different way of understanding things, which is demonstrated in the various resurrection accounts, various appearances. But in each instance, as with Mary, Jesus appears and is unrecognizable to them. At first, Jesus is still accursed in their sight. He's dead. Death has worn out. The grave has consumed him. And their understanding, I believe, is bound by this reality because that is one way of understanding everything. In each instance, they have to, in some way, change up their perspective in order to recognize Jesus, in order to comprehend that it is the risen Jesus who stands before them. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a kind of jarring scene in which the eleven 
remaining apostles, it says they saw him and they worshipped him. But then it adds this note. But some doubted. Some of them are stuck between two ways of knowing. They're kind of hovering on the edge of a new understanding, but they're unable to take it in. They're unable to escape the gravity of death, their former world, and the way it was shaped by the understanding of mortality. Thomas, you know, presumes he can apprehend the resurrection through a kind of measured accumulation of facts. Oh, I want to see the nail marks. I want to put my finger where the nails were. I want to put my hand in your side. Peter, of course, is slow to an alternative understanding. Even after the women report the resurrection in John, it says that he ran up, and we assume that he's running with John. They run to the tomb, and John is a younger man, and in fact gets to the tomb before Peter. But John being John, he hesitates because to go into the tomb means that you'll be unclean for a week. Peter being Peter doesn't even stop at the entrance of the tomb. He just runs in. And bending over it says he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what happened. But John it says believed. He saw the empty tomb and he believed. You know, the women had already told them what had happened. But it says in John 20, 11, that Peter seemed to think their words were like so much nonsense. It says that Peter is left wondering. And then there's the two on the road to Emmaus. Maybe they spend longer in the presence of Jesus without recognizing him than anybody. They walk seven miles. And he expounds all of scripture to them, explaining how he is the interpretive key of the Old Testament. In fact, they walked all day, and when they finally arrive at Emmaus, they invite the stranger in. They still don't know. You know, they, they know there's something. And they break bread together. He gives thanks and he broke it. And then it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This transformation in the capacity to see, to see the resurrected Christ, I think it just casts everything in a new light. He is Lord over the grave. He has conquered death. And this opens up an alternative understanding, an alternative way of knowing, a different interpretive frame. As with the doubting among the eleven, it's not simply that more data must be collected, more apologetic arguments presented, they see him. They touch him. And yet they doubt it. So that a preponderance of evidence maybe will tip the scales toward a kind of grudging belief, but that's still not 
the kind of faith that is world-changing perspective. They acknowledge it's the resurrected Jesus, but then how do you incorporate this understanding into everything? Everything they know, everything we know, or at least they thought they knew. What we see first in Mary Magdalene, I think is the beginning of this alternative way of knowing. She thinks she's having a discussion with the local gardener. And of course, there may be implications here that, well, here is the true Adam. Here is the true gardener of Eden. But then this man speaks her name, Mary. And she turns again, and apparently she clings to him. She recognizes him. And what she recognizes is the grave could not hold him. The earth, in fact, apparently, she realizes cannot hold him. Because he begins to talk about his ascension. Her own understanding is perhaps the first instance of resurrection faith. It's no longer earthbound, no longer deathbound. As with the two on the road to Emmaus, the transformation is not so much in what she sees, because she was already having a conversation with the gardener. But then there is a transformation in her comprehension. As with some of the eleven, it may be that this understanding falters momentarily. They doubt it. So that one needs to undergo a sharpening of perspective. A growing understanding of how the world coheres very differently in light of the resurrection. And so the various witnesses grow into this alternative understanding. When we first see the women at the tomb, the two on the road to Emmaus, the apostles gathered and hiding, we know that they're like Mary. You know, Jesus has failed. They've seen the trial. They've seen him beaten and bloodied and crucified. As far as they're concerned, death has won out. Jesus is defeated. The grave has consumed him. And I believe their understanding is bound by this reality. It's a hard reality to set aside. They are so constrained by their earthly kind of a cause and effect ordering around the absolute of death so that the risen Jesus as he stands before them he's a stranger he's a gardener he's unrecognizable and when he says the name of Mary she recognizes him with the two disciples it's the moment when he breaks bread Peter it's a little hard to say when full dawning of understanding happens. You know, they're out fishing and he sees a man cooking fish on the shore, you know, and instructs them how to fish. And they haul in this huge haul of fish. And of course it's John who says, oh, it's the Lord. And then Peter sheds his outer cloak and dives into the sea. And so maybe it's that moment for Peter the stranger on the shore is actually his Lord. The intonation of a name, the breaking of bread, the dawning of a new day on the Lake of Galilee. In some ways, these are things commensurate with their world. But then everything changes up when they see the resurrected Jesus. 
where their vision was previously obscured, the resurrection casts a new perspective on everything. It's not just that they've come to a kind of historical belief in the resurrection. It's not simply belief in the historical truth of the resurrection that may still not quite arrive at the world-changing faith in which everything is made different. There is a growth in this perspective such that one sort of belief, even though it believes in the resurrection, they're still left doubting. They're still left misrecognizing him. They're still looking into the sky as they're still confined to a kind of horizontal and vertical world of an earth-bound knowing cloud their vision, cloud their comprehension of who he is, even in the midst of worshiping him. And so I think it's important to say both things. There is a shift in perspective, but this shift is one they grow into. It's not that they did not firmly believe but then collected more data, you know, examined the testimony, made a thorough analysis, compared notes, came to a historical belief. Their belief is not this sort of speculative calculation. It's not simply the capacity to entertain a historical truth. But neither is it that they saw and instantaneously everything changed. That is, the Gospels record a process. The second glance of Mary. The burning realization of the two on the road to Emmaus. Even in the upper room in which Jesus suddenly appears, their understanding follows his greeting. He's there suddenly amongst them. He's showing them the scars of the crucifixion. And it says only subsequent to that, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In other words, it was a dawning understanding. By the same token, the implication of the resurrection, full resurrection faith, I believe they're working it out. It's not clearly comprehended by Peter. It's not yet clear, even at the end of the Gospel of John, whether Peter has a firm grasp on what this means. You know, that's the story. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter says, well, what about that guy? In other words, he still does not understand. But with the resurrection, there is a defeat of death. But of course, we know historically that Peter, too, will be crucified. And so he comes to understand. And so I believe it's precisely the possibility beyond historical affirmation, a kind of incommensurate realization, which opens up to us and to them. Maybe, you know, we haven't witnessed the resurrection. But I believe in our understanding, our resurrection faith, that it changes up our perspective. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he talks about two orders of knowing orbiting around either the core belief, Jesus is accursed, the idea he's dead, or Jesus is Lord. That's the difference. The difference between the two, I think, marks the understanding, and Paul is talking here about the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
that there is a realization of Christ's resurrected lordship in the community of the saved. If the accursed Jesus is the crucified Jesus, the rotting in the grave Jesus, the dead Jesus, well, that's one understanding. But if Jesus is resurrected, Jesus is Lord. He's defeated death. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this knowledge Paul describes as entry into the participation in the Trinity. He says there are different gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. There is God at work in us bringing about the belief of resurrection faith. Now, I think there's a kind of modern believing the resurrection on the basis, oh, we've got this preponderance of historical evidence. I think that's good. I think we need to do that, but I don't think that's far enough. You know, this understanding, it's almost like you coerce the possibility of belief but always doubt is nearby, as if there is no real change in a person's world. On the other hand, when you come to the belief, Jesus is Lord, he is risen, that changes up everything. This belief trusts God, even in the face of death. Jesus is Lord launches us into a new spiritual perception no longer weighted down by death, no longer weighed down by, you know, the scientific validation, accumulated apologetic argument. Here is the communion of the Trinity opened up to us. I know that he lives because he lives in me, as the song says. The reality of the risen Christ takes hold in our lives. And so if we imagine the accursedness of Jesus, you know, the accursedness of his death, if that is one understanding, then we understand Jesus as Lord is the undoing of that accursedness. Death, muteness, alienation, I think that characterizes one way of knowing. In the order of death, everything is earthbound, gravebound. And where we only see the accursed Jesus, one is bound by an order of knowing that cannot escape this world's gravity. But I believe there is a knowing change, a change in our understanding, a, an experience of a different sort of reality. We come together as a resurrected community. What produces the Gospels? What produces the New Testament? is this new perspective. They see the beauty of Christ and out of that understanding flows the faith that gives us the gospel, that gives us the New Testament. It comes about in light of the resurrection. Perhaps we can say only love can believe the resurrection or it is love that believes the resurrection. Everything is made different. Jesus as Lord makes everything new. 
And it's within this beauty of the resurrection faith then that we have Resurrection Sunday, that we have Easter Sunday, that we meet together as a body of believers. Jim Rawls asked me the other day, he said, well, who's the greatest writer that's ever lived? He said, I want to read his novel. I said, well, read Fyodor Dostoevsky. I think the greatest writer that's ever lived. Before Dostoevsky began his literary career, he was sentenced to die before a firing squad. And they lined them up and they were about to shoot him. Just moments before his execution, he was pardoned. But in that moment of imminent death, Dostoevsky drew on his Christian faith. He turned to his friends and he said to them, we will be together with Christ. And from that moment of intense beauty, inches from death, I think that gives us the writer, Dostoevsky. That is, that he sees the world with a beauty that he had not seen. Dostoevsky loses a three-year-old child. He struggled all of his life with alcohol, with gambling. He knew of the terror of war. He writes more profoundly about evil than anyone. And yet faith in the risen Christ is the only answer to the woes of life, to inexplicable suffering, the suffering of a child, the death of a child, the terror of evil, and even to facing one's own imminent execution. The beauty of the risen Christ is the perspective then that gives us New Testament Christianity that gives us 2,000 years of witness that gives us a multitude of martyrs who like Dostoevsky who like Mary who like Peter can proclaim with us today He is risen He is risen indeed Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.